Hello there and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pinkavichus. This podcast will be very special because I have prepared a complete organ demonstration of the largest pipe organ in Lithuania, which stands in Vilnius University St. John's Church. This is where I work. And uh, just recently, I've been invited to give this um, demonstration to a group of German lawyers who, part- who participated in lawyers' conference at at the Vilnius University. So I recorded this uh, demonstration. I and I'm making this into um, a podcast for a wider audience uh, now. And these people uh, from Germany were very curious about uh, all things about the organ, how organ works, how organ sounds are produced, uh, what is the mechanic of the organ, even the historical parts were very fascinating. Uh, so today I'm going not only to give the overview of the main families of the organ sounds uh, with complete uh, demonstrations and improvisations on this magnificent instrument, but also I'll talk about the history of, of this particular instrument and uh, of the organ in general. We'll, we'll talk about the antiquity, we'll talk about how the organ came into the church, we'll even briefly touch about the the grand instruments uh, with seven manuals and pedals which stand uh, in Atlantic City and in Sydney, the largest pipe organ in the world, and how they sound, uh, how, how they can be perceived. So, I hope you will find find this or organ demonstration inspiring let's go to the show we are we are on the balcony of the largest one of the largest churches in one of the beautiful, most beautiful churches in Lithuania which houses the, the, the largest pipe organ in, in the country it has uh, three manuals three keyboards basically and uh, 64 Stops. This is what we call stop, register, and And uh, this instrument is completely mechanical, which means that I will engage all these stops and other mechanical devices by hand or by feet. So uh, this instrument has about three and a half thousand pipes inside of this. Grand, uh, grand uh, facade, and uh, its history is quite complex, but very fascinating. And briefly we'll touch about uh, how this organ came into this church, because originally it wasn't built for for the university church, but it was built in in another Jesuit church in Belarus, in, in today's Belarus, uh, the, the city or town where they call Polotsk. And they had a Jesuit church there, and uh, they had, of course, a strong Jesuit connection with Bauer University. And at the end of the 18th century, uh, one of the most famous Königsberg, uh, or East Russian, uh, basically, orgel, orgel, organ, organ master, uh, Adam Gottlob Kasparini, came from Königsberg and built a prototype for this organ. Uh, smaller instrument, uh, one, one keyboard and 22 stops, not 64, but 22 with pedals. And uh, uh, in, in the middle, about uh, in the 1830s, when the Tsar regime closed down the Jesuit church in the Belarus, in, in Polotsk, uh, our university purchased and transferred this instrument to this church, which was later enlarged by local organ builders and made into the three manual instrument. And even at the end of the 19th century, it was made even bigger and bigger, which became the largest instrument in the country. But then later, Soviet regime came and, and this instrument was dis- dis- dismantled and the pipes were taken out of the organ. The um, drunk men could, could climb into the, into the instrument itself and uh, damage the precious metal pipes, right? But even in, in the Soviet times, at the, end of, at the end of the 1970s or in the beginning of the 1980s, they began to understand it, the regime understand it. This instrument has tremendous value as a historical model. 
so they started to uh, restore the facade. Not the instrument itself, but just the facade, the, the gilding, the carvings, and the, the facade metal pipes, which incidentally have almost 90% of tin alloy. Tin. So basically, I will talk about the pipes and alloys and, and wooden pipes and constructions uh, all day long, but you have to stop me. <laughs> By the way, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so, so we'll make it short. Uh, and I will not talk too much because I want to demonstrate some of the most colorful and beautiful stuff of this instrument. So uh, basically, Soviet started to restore the, 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 the facade. Not the Soviet, but our local uh, monument preservers, basically. Uh, restorers and uh, in, in 1983 they began to reconstruct the inside of the instrument with the in, in idea with the vision that someday this instrument will be playable again and uh, it happened uh, actually a reality in, in, the, in July of 2000 so in July of uh, July 17th of 2000 uh, there came 150 organ organ builders from all over the world in, in, uh, to participate in, in a symposium of International Society of Organ Builders, uh, which took place in all three Baltic states, uh, in Vilnius, Riga, and Tallinn. And in an entire weekend, or even entire week, I don't remember exactly, but they came and visited all the important historical instruments in all the Baltic areas. So this uh, instrument was inaugurated as part of this symposium, and I was uh, just uh, just completed my master's study at the Lithuanian Academy of Music at that time and played a part in that inaugural concert. So a few words about the, the mechanical part of this instrument is very fascinating because, as you see. Um, the facade is quite Baroque-like, right? And to, uh, to be more precise, is, is German oriented. Because uh, uh, Kasparini, Adam Gordon Kasparini, came from East Prussia and built the uh, instrument according to the Thuringian style. Because he visited uh, uh, organs in uh, Thuringia and, um, and uh, apprenticed with the greatest uh, uh, organ builder of that time in Turingi, called uh, Hans Johan uh, Johan uh, Hans, you know Johan Christoph Trost, and Trost was um, uh, very famous for his organs, who, which inspired instruments playable by Bach, Johann Sebastian Bach. So basically, even this instrument has some ideas that could be uh, basically applied to the organs of Bach. As well, or the, any of the Bach school, any of the Baroque uh, German area. Basically, this this is uh, quite a Baroque instrument. But uh, when when organ builders restored this in the 1980s, they thought maybe we could also reconstruct the instrument in a way that it was also playable in the 19th century, and that was completely different from the 18th century. This was a romantic period. Romantic period meant more, more foundational stuff, so more, uh, more orchestral-like sounds, and you will hear that uh, um, also style in, in today's not only baroque uh, stuff, uh, improvisations, but also um, sort of uh, modal uh, and symphonic style, uh, romantic and even 20th century techniques applied to 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 depict the colors of this instrument and, and also the five most important families of this instrument, stop families of this instrument. So let's talk about the stop families, uh, the pipes and, and its construction. First of all, the organ the pipes have five families. These metal pipes, uh, we call them principles. Principle, it comes from Latin principalis, uh, which means 
chef. In the main, the main, the main register, the main stock of this organ, and they usually are built from from metal. And in the facade, you see about 90% of but in the in the inside of the instrument, you can find more of the lead and tin alloy mixed together. Lead and tin are more the two of the most important alloys for building and uh, and uh, casting casting uh, pipe organ metals. Lead blight. Um, so lead actually is quite uh, dangerous for your health, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you chew or, or touch. <laughs> so organ builders handle the pipes, uh, pipe work very carefully with special gloves and uh, don't put them into the mouth too much. But because they have to really blow and uh, check the, the, the pipes, it's not too dangerous. And European, European Union or EU Council basically uh, tried to forbid um, all lead materials, right? A, a few years ago or 10 years ago. And one of the uh, victims of that uh, were organs, of course, because lead is everywhere in organs. But our uh, main uh, European organ builders, also from Germany, especially from Germany, they came to, to, to Brussels and, uh, and said, and lobbied basically a European Council said no 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 it's not too dangerous if the, the pipes are standing still and if the people are you know from some distance nothing is really evaporating and you cannot really smell it so it's not too dangerous and, and it's uh, thanks to this uh, process it's still allowed to build the pipe organs and uh, pipes from lead as well so it's, it's kind of same situation, but we managed to handle this correctly. So, uh, principles, you were probably wondering how the principle sound uh, is constructed, right? So, principles, these are all the principles from different manuals. And just above me are uh, the principles from the main manual, from the main keyboard. We call them Hauptwerk. In German, basically, it's, it's the main work. Uh, I don't know why they call it, because the pipe works are um, usually called Werk. Werk, uh, Oberwerk, Rückwerk, for example, if they, if they could have the um, um, special cabinet which would hang in the under the balcony, that would be called Rückwerk. Yes. In sometimes, sometimes positive, look positive. So over positive, over work, it's sort of interchangeable in terms. All right, so uh, let's hear this uh, facade principle eight foot. <laughs> things in feet and yards and, uh, and um, 
what else? Uh, inches, right? In Europe, except in, in, in England. But, uh, but in, in Baroque time, uh, they had a system, uh, not a metrical system, but uh, uh, other, the other system. And uh, eight feet, eight foot principle means that the largest pipe, the base C, this pipe, is uh, eight feet long. Which means, in today's terms, about uh, 240 centimeters, about 2 meters 40 centimeters. And if you check for the length of these, uh, of these of facade pipes, here is the middle C, the lowest base C, here C, and here is the C sharp on the other side. They are approximately of that length, uh, 240 centimeters. And, um, which means that uh, all of the 8-foot stops here can be uh, 240 centimeters long. And uh, which means that if we, if we cut the pipe in half, we'll make 4-foot long, right? Pipe, then the sound would be one octave higher. Like the string, right? We would make the string shorter than exactly one octave the higher stop. I will demonstrate how it sounds, for example, uh, principle 8 contrasted with octave 4 of the same stop. Principle 16. Uh, this means pipe uh, work which is uh, about 5 meters long. These pedal towers on the right side and on the left side, they are about 5 meters long. Here is the And see them. 
the Leute. Here is the lowest sound of Guess what? This is not the end. Because we have <laughs> Subas 32. Here is 32 for the shortest the shortest part. church organ in the world, anywhere in the world, is the largest in Passau. Uh, church, in church building. But it's still not the largest in the world, because the largest in the world uh, are in two places now, uh, which have, uh, which has not three manuals like here, not five manuals like in Passau, but uh, for example, seven keyboards, seven manuals. We call them manuals because, uh, of course, manus in Latin, of, in Latin is hand. Uh, and pedals because uh, pedos uh, in, in Latin is, of course, foot. And um, so there are seven of them. One, two, three, four. Imagine, 
look at me. Five. How tense I am. Six and seven is somewhere here. And of course, you can play this way and this way and this way, this way, this way, this way. This way. Yeah, and, and jump around, yes, I will jump a little bit for you on three manuals, but it's not quite the fun when you have seven. Uh, I can uh, really uh, only imagine, because I, I never play these largest organs in the world. By the way, they stand in America and in Australia. Uh, in America, it was uh, for a long time uh, the only playable seven-manual organ in the world, in Atlantic City, uh, in New Jersey. Atlantic City, they have this seven, seven manual grand monster instrument with about uh, uh, more than 1,000 stops, and not 64 stops right here, <laughs> not like uh, 131 stops like in uh, in um, in Latvia, uh, in um, in uh, Liepaja Cathedral, the largest mechanical organ in the world, when I played uh, last month. And even not the 200 or 300 instruments that are like five manuals range, but this is a huge monster instrument with more than 1,000 stops. Not pipes, but stops. It's endless, the, the stop combinations, basically. In Atlantic City, in America, and also in Sydney, in Town Hall, in Australia. And now the Sydney organ is restored and can be playable. And they say that these monster organs have not like five, five meter long pipes, but 20 meter long pipes, like five story buildings. You can imagine the sound. We heard 32 foot stop. They have 64 foot stop played by, by foot. And you can, you can really only uh, determine not exact pitch but only vibrations and when you play those vibrations it, it really is the effect of a helicopter hovering above the building. <laughs> it's really that uh, uh, roar, tremendous roar and it's quite dangerous for the, for the building. Here I was joking about this, uh, windows and uh, breaking uh, ceiling and uh, columns but in Sydney and in America of course the, the building itself had to be reinforced to accommodate those lowest vibrations. To be specific, uh, it's about 8 hertz uh, vibrations. They're not very old. Beginning of the 20th century, because the older, the oldest instruments never were so huge. It's only in, in modern era, in industrial times, where you know we had to. Yes. <laughs> and actually, the uh, the, the middle-aged organs, right? The organs in ancient Greece and Rome, they were very, very small and, and delicate. In fact, uh, kings and emperors had them in home. And in ancient Greece, the instruments were not in in temples or religious houses, um, but in circus arenas, in uh, where gladiators fought, right? They played organs there, but not with exact church organs, but they called them water organs because <coughs> instead of bellows, which uh, are required to, to, to have this pressure, air pressure, they had the water reservoirs on each side of the instrument with a few rows of metal pipes. This is called in, in, in English hydraulics. And uh, in uh, 79 AD, you remember when Pompeii was, uh, uh, the city town of Pompeii in ancient Rome was really um, covered by ash, volcanic ash from the Vesuvius, right? Uh, everything was uh, really covered uh, to the ground and some of the instruments as well. So scientists discovered, rediscovered in the 20th century and dig it up. Dig dug up this instrument, ancient hydraulics, and reconstructed, and it could be still heard on YouTube as well. <laughs> it's a very gentle instrument, and it can be uh, sung together with uh, some poems by Homer and um, things like that. All right, enough talk. Now let's, uh, let's hear some of the more principal stuff. Uh, for example, principle eight and four combined.
accompany church singing, uh, choral singing, uh, congregational singing, uh, as well of, uh, on some festive, uh, festive um, sounds, uh, preludiums, fumes, uh, uh, variations, chaconas, uh, all kinds of uh, baroque type compositions that are not uh, constructed with chorales, not like uh, choral variations, not choral fantasias, uh, because they require more elegant and more colorful stops we call reeds and flutes as well. We, heard, we will hear, for example, the next family of our stop is called the flute. And they really imitate orchestral flutes because in the diameter they are uh, wider than the principal. And actually uh, they sound more delicate and gentle. And sometimes really you cannot really even differentiate them from orchestral flutes or other various kinds of flutes. Each of the manuals have several flutes combined so we can really demonstrate them here. For example, the first manual has flauto major, which in Italian of course is the major flute, the flute uh, because uh, it is flauto minor also, the smaller. <laughs> The larger is of eight foot level, and the smaller is of four foot level. So we'll hear this gentle sound.
more pronounced. What happens if I engage flauto of two foot level?
ceremonies playing uh, national, uh, national anthems and uh, go down with the student <laughs> academic uh, anthem. Um, it all comes down to this tremendous power of this organ has and then the tremendous colorful abilities. Imagine 64 foot stops. You can really uh, calculate how many stop combinations simply by it, uh, uh, basically calculating 64 times 64. That's how many abilities, colorful abilities there are in this organ. Not so all of them are used every day, but, but the, the more I play here, the more I work here maintaining this instrument and tuning this instrument, the more I discover the intricate abilities, and especially at night, for example, when lights are out and everything, everywhere is dark, you can hear about six or seven seconds of reverberation mm. when playing all the stops and all the pipes. It's quite powerful and I would say even a religious experience for some people uh, because you can play very gently as well, like meditation, uh, or very powerfully, like also another kind of meditation, right? And uh, the most fascinating thing to me that only one person can do. Uh, not not necessarily 100 mm. beats yes, yes. orchestra, okay. orchestra, but it can really imitate mm. orchestral sound quite well, and even accompany uh, silent movies like uh, like they did in, in the beginning of 20th century. Then they didn't have orchestras; they had organists playing uh, soundtracks, mm. uh, improvisations. So we do these things in our church as well and uh, try to. Uh, make this organ, uh, organ art come alive in, in, in Lithuania. So, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. I have one question. Yes. Did I see it right? You play on the first manual, and mm -hmm. on the third manual, there are. What happens when I play exactly? This is because I engage couplets. Couplets. Copel, copel. They couple the manuals together. These little pedals. When I play.
how it all works. Let's hope it will hold. So, here is, I will demonstrate how the sound is produced now, of course, because, because uh, you see now mechanical parts. There is a, uh, there is a uh, abstract in, in German or the, basically the tracker in English. Connect the end of the keys to the ventus the, uh, uh, underneath the pipes. Ventus. So what happens when you depress the key? Here. Uh, if I want to this C to sound, for example, when, when this nice roar choose whatever key I want. This is this only for, for the third manual, for, for the third, for the upper uh, The pedal board is, is a little more complex. It's uh, sort of the same, but only uh, underneath us. And it also has trackers, which connect end of the pedals uh, with the ventils, which are underneath the pipeworks in the winches. So you see, under each stop, under each manual, wooden boxes and the air is produced by by blowers, by motors today. But the earlier days, of course, they call it calcantum. We call we have this uh, stop, which is called calcant. What happens when I press? No air here, so it's it's a symbol for for the uh, strong man sitting uh, next to the bellows and waiting for my signal. And in earlier days, there was a bell for him with this calcantan stop. I could engage this bell, ring this bell, and, and he would start ringing the bellows now, pumping. It's just a matter of, you know, linguistics now, and, uh, and uh, simple motor is enough here. But sometimes they reconstruct uh, replicas of 18th century and 17th century instruments that can be pumped by hand or by feet. That's very fascinating because with motor blowers it's all equal, equal wind supply. 
it's uh, no differentiation, no like breathing, right? But with pumping by hand and feet, the organ really breathes like like a human being. And um, one of the fascinating things is the history how the organ came into the church. It was first as I used as a circus instrument, as a pagan instrument, basically. But one, about 1,000 years ago, it came to the church, into monasteries and cathedrals in Europe as a symbol of universal harmony. You know, this uh, uh, ancient uh, um, classical um, system of, of uh, belief that each of the planets make sounds. Unheard mm. yes, to, yes. to humans, but they, while they move through their orbits, they make sounds of some kind. Sphere music, yeah. Uh, they had three different types of music at that time. Musica humana, which is human voice, right? Musica uh, instrumentalis, which is instrument music. Violins, wind uh, instruments, and organs as well. And the third type was musica mundana, this, uh, this, uh, this spherical music. And the organ, yeah, it's a very interesting uh, symbol of that because each of the types is uh, like a different person and uh, they together uh, create this heavenly harmony basically and uh, recreate the sounds that are heard perhaps in heaven. Uh, sung by the heavenly choirs and archangels. So they believed and uh, one of the reasons they used, started to use this instrument in churches is this symbol of universal harmony. Excellent question. <laughs> the question? <laughs> any, any other questions? Yeah, I still have Bellows, yes, you want to see the bellows. Uh, it's not possible, but I will show it. <laughs>